over 60 locations and more than 300 coaches and trainers. You oversee quite a few people. I'm interested to know, uh, Rafi, what are you guys looking for when it comes to hiring, right? And I'm sure you guys are hiring coaches and trainers like those that are listening to the podcast consistently. So what are some of the top skills or the top traits that you're looking for when it comes to bringing people into UFIT and starting as a coach and trainer? It's a great question. There's a few different things that we look for at UFIT, gents. The first thing, obviously, is you need to have certification or you need to have a degree in the field. You need to have a certain amount of credibility, you know, if we're going to put you in front of certain people. So we want to make sure that they have that. And then really beyond that, it's can you hold a conversation with somebody? Are you somebody that they're going to want to engage with? I think what a lot of people overlook is that it's not just do you know the right corrective exercise? Do you know how to perform an assessment? It's can somebody picture themselves spending a certain amount of time with you every week? So a lot of the interview process is just you don't necessarily need to have the most bubbly personality, but do you have a personality that you can hold a conversation? You're going to get to know somebody. You're going to know about their personal life. And if you have that, we're pretty confident with our onboarding that we can get you to the place where your program design is going to be in a strong place. You can understand how to work with the different types of clients that we have. But that would be the next thing is not can you train yourself? You know, can you train Mrs. Jones, who hasn't been to the gym in five years and she wants to lose 30 pounds and her shoulder kind of hurts? So just going through some of those realistic clients that somebody would go through, you know, what would you do with them? What would your first session look like? And if those answers are are in line with what you'd expect from a certification or a degree, I mean, those are the main things that we're looking for. I love that. And so if I'm hearing you that you guys are more interested and it, again, I mean, obviously you and your role, but I would imagine for a lot of hiring managers and those who oversee entire training teams, more interested in the person, the personality than let's say like their initial training skill set. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, I think that's that's absolutely fair to say. I think about what is going to keep a client around and have them see results. And it's going to be the relationship that they have with somebody at the end of the day. You may have all the best information out there in terms of their nutrition, in terms of what they need to do for their homework, you know, coming into the gym. But if there's not a trust, if there's not a relationship, you're never going to get that person to do those things. So it doesn't necessarily always matter how much knowledge you have. It's What's your ability to influence them and influence their behavior? And I think that always starts with having trust and having a relationship. And the only way to do that is to get to know somebody. Well, and I think it would actually be kind of cool to hear from you because you, you know, work with so many of the other hiring managers that are bringing people in. And a lot of people who are listening to this podcast, they're in that initial phase. Maybe, maybe they have an initial training job, whether it's going to be their forever job, right? Probably not. Um, or they're actually just getting certified and they're starting to think about it. So I'd be really interested to hear from your side, like how do you more so to, you know, prepare people listening for the interview type things that are going to come their way when they sit down with, you know, someone at, at UFIT and, you know, with the potential of coming on to the location or, or being a trainer. Um, how do you guys tease some of those things out? Is it all conversation? Do you guys require practical interviews? Like what does that process look like? And you don't have to get too nitty gritty, but I just feel like that might actually be really cool for some of the people listening to have a better idea of like, what am I, you know, what should I expect? Yeah, that's great. Um, I'll, I'll give your listeners one hint. If you bring a testimonial of a client, even if it's your mom, your sister, your brother, whatever that is, <laughs> that's going to set you apart right away. It, even if they're not paying for the training, the fact that you were able to get somebody results and they're willing to vouch for you, bring that to an interview. You're going to have an automatic edge. A lot of people overlook that. The second thing is it's very similar to a fitness assessment or the first time that you're working with a client. We're going to make the interview much more of a conversation than an interrogation. A lot of people are going to prepare for an interview expecting question, answer, question, answer, and then they get thrown off when 
we take it a little bit off of well, what are your strengths and your weaknesses, right? We're going to dive into those things. So be prepared to be fluid, to be yourself. It's something that I really want to encourage a lot of trainers is that a lot of people have a stereotype of what is that certain personality that a trainer needs to be, right? They need to be the cheerleader. They need to be super loud. They need to be super outgoing. In reality, not everybody's going to mesh with that. And we recognize that. We're just looking like, hey, are you somebody that's enjoyable to spend time with? The 80-year-old client may need somebody who's just going to listen, going to be a little bit calmer, but is going to be in tune and engaged with them. So I think prepare for a conversation and don't just be scripted the whole time. And that's really what we're going to look for in a lot of those interviews. Yeah, I like that. And there's a lot of nervousness, I find. I mean, and I know because, you know, we work with a lot of people getting certified and maybe they're maybe they're not 20 years old, right? Maybe they're 30, 40 and they're aware, right? They get certified. They have no real training job experience. And they're like, well, how do I get started somewhere when they want me to have experience? Um, you know, so I understand there's like some, you know, let's call it like fear psychology coming into it. Uh, you know, just coming in, you know, be a, be a real person with a pulse. And, uh, and you know, that's at least a good start. And, and I'm excited to have you guys on or have you on here. And for you guys that are listening, if you guys are listening and not watching, just a reminder that this is also available on YouTube. So you can see Raphael's beautiful face, right? With his, uh, luxurious long hair, uh, that he's got pulled back right now, but I'm excited to have Raphael on here, uh, because of his role, you know, and again, we'll dive into a little bit of just your experience too because I think you've had kind of a cool, interesting path. And I think it's fun for people to hear like what's possible in the fitness industry aside from just training, you know, but I think for you, especially as the senior director of fitness and overseeing all of training, serving different roles inside of the organization, what do you like about starting your training career with an organization like you fit, right? Because, you know, when you're in the fitness industry for a while, or for those who come through and they talk to others, you know, people talk about the benefits and drawbacks of being a part of a corporation or starting as a trainer in that environment. So, um, what do you feel like are the advantages for new coaches and trainers to start training at a place like you fit, um, based upon how it's set up? That's mm -hmm. it. What you need to first realize is there's a difference between being a great personal trainer and being a successful personal trainer. A great personal trainer, you have a client in front of you, you can deliver them results, they'd be willing to give you a testimonial. However, it doesn't matter how great you are if you only have one client, right? That's not what we would deem successful. If you're becoming a personal trainer, it's likely you want to make this your full-time thing. And in order to do that, you need a certain amount of clients to pay your bills, to make money, to save, to do all those amazing things. Now, if you start off on your own, it's a really hard learning curve to building the business. I would say the biggest advantage of going into any commercial setting is that there's going to be people who are going to teach you the business and you're going to find out really quick what goes into that. And I think one of the biggest advantages is it's a lot easier to get leads. So if you're on your own, right, maybe you're messaging people on social media, you know, maybe you're trying to hand out a business card at a gas station, what have you, you're going to automatically be in a pool of people who are automatically qualified as a client. If they're in the gym, they care about their fitness, they care about their exercise. So everybody you talk to is already pre-qualified to some extent. It's just a matter of, can you show your value? Can you get them excited about the change? Can you do all those things that you would do, whether they're already paying you or not? So I think that's really the biggest advantage is your learning curve is gonna be shortened. You're gonna learn all the systems in place. Like what I always tell trainers, at least at UFIT is like, if we didn't know that this was gonna help you, we wouldn't ask you to do it. Right. If there was a certain method to managing your calendar, if there's a certain method to contacting clients, following up, doing program design, the sales process, right? We wouldn't, wouldn't ask you to do it if it wasn't going to help you grow your business. And I think a lot of people think they can skip certain corners and be successful. But as a trainer, 
one of the most underrated skills is being organized. And it's one of the hardest things because the more organized you are, the more accountable you can keep your clients, the fuller your schedule is going to be. So I think that's really the biggest advantage is you're going to be in front of people that you can pick up as clients and you're going to learn the systems to not only gain clients, but to train them efficiently. It's very different to have 40 clients than two clients. And you're actually going to learn, well, how do you keep these clients for a long time? Because that's the only way to build a successful book and to have a successful career. You can't turn clients over every one to two months and build a book. It's just not possible. And it's not fun for you as a trainer either because you're not delivering results. I love that. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's what we talk about in the academy as far as like, you know, the, the, the biggest thing in that first six to 12 months is you just got to get in reps. Like mm -hmm. you just need to get in as many reps as possible, regardless of how much you're making. Cause if you want to make it past that first year, like that's going to matter a lot. So I love that. And remind me when, when would like, what year did you get certified and start training? Now we're going to make, we're going to make ourselves sound older now. I got certified in 2009 and started training then. I was actually started out as a fitness assessment apprentice, if you want to call it that these days. So I was just running Love that. assessments and, and handing them off to the trainers who were doing that. But that started in 2009 over at University of Florida. That's cool. And I, I say that because I feel like as we were first getting started training, all the people, and I, I'm sure I already know, you know, I know from the writing that you do in the fitness industry on the different websites, we're, we're following the same people. We're learning from these people in the industry. And I know very few veteran trainers that have been doing it 15, 20 plus years that didn't start at some sort of organization like you fit. Maybe it was, maybe it was the places that don't exist anymore, like Bally's, right. That, that are like the, uh, the history lesson of the fitness industry. But I find that most of the great, you know, coaches and trainers who've really made it long-term started in those environments, even if they didn't stay there, that was like the starting point. Mm -hmm. I, I would definitely agree with that. And I think, you know, some people decide that they want to, you know, shift in a career, they want to own their studio. I think what a lot of people when they're interviewing or when they're talking about it are afraid to kind of share what their, their dream is, what their long-term goal is of, Hey, I want to open up a personal training studio at some point, or I want to own, own my own gym, or I want to do this or that. A lot of people are scared to tell that to their employer and you really shouldn't be because ultimately we want to help you be successful in whatever you do. And the more successful you are here, the more successful we are. And so I've talked to a lot of trainers and I've encouraged them. Hey, well, if you want to open your own studio, remember the systems and things we were talking about when you come on, if you need to dial those oh, in yeah. first, because I want to see you be successful. I don't want to see you, you know, sign a commercial lease and then six months later be struggling and be stressed out. So yeah. really take advantage of this time to learn the systems and everybody, like you said, has learned from somebody else. So steal, borrow, you know, take all those systems. They're, they're really just a combination. Then you put your own twist on it at the end of the day to make it yours. That's the key, man. You're, you're right on. I feel like that was probably the best advice that like my dad ever gave me just earlier on in life, which is like, if you can get experience on someone else's money, do it right. Like make the mistakes you know, in that environment. So you make fewer mistakes, hopefully down the road, if you're doing something on your own. Absolutely. I remember hearing a, a good quote and somebody was trying to get an internship and he said, Hey, I'll work for you for free. And he goes, that's too expensive. You need to be paying me to learn from you. So if you can get paid to learn, like basically have a paid internship, you got to take advantage of that because there's not a lot of those opportunities. So learn, learn as much as you can take as much as you can. And don't just, you know, go through the motions, but really be thinking proactively. Hey, what do I like? What do I not like? What would I keep? What would I change as I go through some of these roles and positions? That's awesome. I love that. And so for those who are, uh, you know, who are in this like first couple of years and they're trying to get traction, right? Maybe they're starting to get busier. They're starting to train maybe 15, 20 sessions a week, like getting, 
you know, some traction to know that like, okay, this is working. Um, in your experience, you know, whether it's with what you've been doing over the last number of years with UFIT or even outside of that, for the coaches who make it over that, like, like to the booked, right, where they're like consistently 30, 40 sessions plus a week, you know, they're able to turn people away. What is it that differentiates those people? Right. Because, you know, everyone comes in, we're all passionate about fitness and training. Everyone loves working out. Um, but what is it about those, those who get like truly booked, um, that's mm -hmm. different. So I have a great example. There's a trainer that we just had in Miami who, who literally went from zero to over 40 hours a week in the course of like 60 days, which is really, really fast. And he's constantly turning people away at this point. So the number one thing is something that anybody is capable of doing. You have to be available and you have to be around. Nobody's going to want to work with you if they don't know you and you can't expect them to come find you. Like you have to go out there and talk to those people, build relationships with them, offer advice, just be around so that when that moment comes up, when they decide, hey, you know what, maybe I could use a little bit of help or maybe there is a better way to do what I'm doing or I have some questions about nutrition, whatever it might be. Let me go talk to that person who's always around and always helping people. So that's the number one thing is you have to be available, right? The best ability when you're starting out is availability. All those people set wide open availability. So you might have to start training early in the morning, late at night until you can then block your schedule down and make it a, you know, a little bit more efficient for yourself. But you got to do that. The second thing is, yes, everybody is passion, passionate about fitness, but do you share that passion openly with everybody? Like, if you're just excited to be in the gym, you're excited about working out, you're excited to share those things. People want to work with a genuine trainer. Like all those people there really, truly love fitness, love helping people before they think about anything else. So you have to share that with people. And there's a lot of different ways that you can do that. I mean, honestly, it's just when you're working out, do you give somebody a spot? It can be that simple where you start up the conversation. And then the second part is, you know, they tend to be a little bit more organized and methodical with developing programs and setting their calendar. And a really underrated thing, again, that anybody can do is <laughs> confirming sessions, not asking if they're showing up. So always give this example to people. It's not, hey, are you coming to our session tomorrow at 10 a.m.? It's like, I got an awesome workout on X. I can't wait to see you at 10. We're going to crush it. That little thing goes a long way because accountability is a huge piece of personal training. Just because you have a great workout doesn't mean that they want to do it. There's going to be days. We all have days, as even as fitness professionals, we don't want to work out. You're going to have clients who are in that. If you confirm them, if you keep them excited about the process, something to work towards, they're going to continually show up. Yeah, I love that. I mean, for me, it's like I'm I'm going on year 16 of training. You know, I still train probably, let's call it like four or five hours a day based upon the, the day throughout the week. And, um, you know, I've got clients that I've had for like seven, eight, nine years. And I'm still confirming, right? I mean, and I, they've got auto alerts, right? I got my everything's put into my Vagaro, super organized, but I already know, I already know they've got a million other things in their mind and it's very easy either A, to forget about it or they just like it. They're like, all right, cool. Joe, give me a little check in. He's thinking about me. Um, so yeah, I love that. I think that stuff goes a long way. And I have a question. I don't know if you have the answer for it because I don't know how much info you have on this super trainer that you're talking about down in Miami. Um, is this someone, are they, are they younger? How, do they have other job experience and they're transitioning into fitness? I'm really interested in that, like people's other experience that they take into the fitness industry. So I don't know how much you might know or how well you know this individual, but do you have any insight on that? Whether they're like young and they're just starting their work career or they've already done some other things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe he's done some other things, but this was kind of just the passion that he wanted to follow. And he decided to just take the jump in the deep end. And um, I think the other part of it too is it's an amazing trainer, 
but he also has an amazing manager and staff around him that yeah. recognize that. I think he was actually a member turn trainer, which is a very common practice. So that people that. kind of already knew him. They already saw the energy, the passion. And one of the best things I know that he did is he started teaching small group training and they literally were asking me all the time, Hey, can we up the capacity of the class? Can we up the capacity? Because everybody's turning their head in the gym. Be like, who is this guy? And a really cool part too, is he's actually legally blind. So like it, it really <laughs> doesn't crazy. matter. You can really train. And as long as you have that passion, you're sharing with it, you're, you're going to be good to go. But he's probably one of the top 1% in terms of passionate trainers. And, and that's really what did it. I love that. That's great. And how many of your guys is, uh, coaches and trainers, or maybe even better phrase as a question, you know, relative to the coaches and trainers that do well in your guys' organization or inside the club, how many of them are doing other things like small group training or teaching group classes? Because I definitely feel like that could be a superpower for coaches, but I'm interested in, in kind of your experience with the organization. Mm -hmm. So we offer small group training at almost every single location. And primarily it's personal trainers that are teaching a lot of those classes. We have some group fitness instructors who are also in that. Um, if you can find somebody who's great at both, like we always call that the unicorn because it is a very different skill set. Yeah. Personally, when I was building up my book, I did it almost exclusively through classes because I'm automatically in front of anywhere from 10 to 30 people all the time who are coming back over and over again. And I get to know them. So it's, it, it is really huge. I'd recommend that as a skill public speaking is a skill that you need no matter what. If you can get somebody to jump when you say jump, you're going to be pretty good at a lot of things. Yeah. And I think that's one, even for me, I think, you know, we, we share a common thread with our, you know, hashtag campus rec experience early on. I mean, that's where I first started personal training and I was working at campus rec and, you know, doing things at a local YMCA and just as many places as I could. I don't think I would have done group fitness had it not been because of that, right? You know, I kind of got pushed into doing some group fitness classes, actually enjoyed it a lot more than I thought. And then I noticed the same thing early on, which is like, wow, I mean, I just, I have a captive audience every day of like 15, 20, 25 people, um, which like you mentioned, is a little harder with the one-on-one -on -one training. So I think that's great. I think that's definitely, like you said, it is a different skill set, but if you can figure both out, like they both become easy, right? You become a better group instructor because of your one-on-one -on -one prowess and then vice versa. You know, if you can coach 15 people to RDL, like one is no problem. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, I, I was in a very similar boat with campus rec. I was just walking by the group fitness room one day and then I saw a trainer teaching class. I was like, wait a second, should I be teaching a class? And then I auditioned <laughs> and they gave me a shot, but that was one of the best experiences I've ever gotten. And I think the other part of it too is, Public speaking is typically somebody's number one fear, but I think a lot of that fear comes from you're talking about something that you may not be passionate about or confident about, but what as a trainer are you going to be more confident and passionate about than exercise? So all you really need to do is share what you already know and just be excited. And if you know, somebody is nervous in an interview or they're nervous before a class, I think that's actually great. If you weren't nervous, it means you don't care. And I always think about that as, are you nervous or are you excited? And if you can channel the excitement to do those things, you're going to be great. And like, you might not be a, like a rock star from day one, but the only way to get better is to do it. Like the only way to learn how to squat is to get under the bar and to get reps and you're going to get better and better and better the more you do it. So what advice did you have too? Cause I, I like, you know, some of what you've already talked about as far as, you know, how people should look at coming in to get things like interviews and, and, you know, coming up as a trainer or coming up as a client inside the same facility, you know, but for those who let's say, for example, I don't know, for those who might be listening, maybe they're in South Florida, which we have a lot, you know, fortunate to have a lot of locations, a lot of you fit locations. 
Um, but for someone who doesn't have a connection in there yet, I would imagine you guys are probably getting pummeled with like online applications all the time, right? So how, how would someone differentiate themselves just even in the process of saying, how do I get my foot in the door? Like I, you know, I, I want to go in and apply to this place, or maybe I've applied online. I haven't heard anything back. You know, what are some things you think they could do to like kind of stand out? Mm -hmm. So it's really cool you asked that. I've actually been teaching an online course for people um, for college credit on personal and professional development, which is developing a resume, developing a cover letter, preparing for interviews and all that. So I've had the opportunity to see really different perspectives and keep fresh of what is it like to prepare for an interview and all those nerves. I would say, first off, with your resume, your certification, bring those in. Don't wait for somebody. Send those proactively. Skip that step. It's going to make it much faster. You know, save your resume as a PDF. It sounds crazy, but you want to look organized. You want to look concise. I would also say, go to the gym, like go to the gym and just start talking to them because you will also want to interview yourself. You don't want to only make it a one-way interview. So go work out there, see how you like it. And then talk to the manager, you know, dress. You don't need to be in a suit as a personal trainer, but you know, clean athletic wear, maybe just like a polo one step up from that. And just start talking and say, hey, I've been working out here. I love this gym. Um, I'm actually a certified personal trainer. I brought my certification with me. I'd love the opportunity to join the team and, and work as a personal trainer. Can I set up an interview? Yeah, it'd be pretty hard, be pretty hard to say no. What's that? Yeah. I said it'd be pretty hard to say no to, to that, someone coming in, right? You know what I mean? You know, people yeah. that are proactive. And that's anybody can do that, right? Go work out, bring your certification, just say, hey. I love it here. I'd love an opportunity to, to join the team. People are looking for people who want to take initiative at the end of the day, because that's what it's going to take to build up your client book. If, you, if you're not willing to take initiative or willing to talk to people, it's going to be much more difficult to build up that client book. So if you can show that initiative, you're going to get an interview 10 out of 10 times. And I like, uh, as we're, as we're looking at like getting started, finding growth, right? Whatever that looks like. I mean, this podcast is the pursuit of progress. And I think one thing I like to try to dive into is like progress is going to look different for a lot of people. And, you know, for me, for example, it was going more the entrepreneurial route and owning a gym, starting businesses, training, all those things after leaving the campus rec world. But I realized after doing it for a while, that's not the right route for a lot of people. And I think in today's kind of sexy online world, like entrepreneurship is sexified, which is cool, right? I mean, it's definitely an amazing, amazing life for the right person. But I think maybe undervalued is the opportunities for growth inside of other organizations, especially like, you know, let's say like even what you've gone on and done and built for yourself inside of UFIT. So for those who are starting even just at like the training level, what is, uh, what does development progress and even let's say like Ascension look like inside an organization like you fit, like what opportunities are there for people beyond just training so that they kind of have an idea of like, what is this maybe leading to, you know, aside from going off and doing my own thing, which, you know, as you mentioned, may not be the right move for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. That's a great question. So personal training tends to kind of fork into two different realms. One is going to be the business side where you're in charge of sales, you're in charge of revenue, you're managing people. And then the other side is really just the education of how do we deliver results within a personal training session? And so at UFIT, we have it where basically you start to earn more, the more sessions that you train, the more sessions that you complete on a certain basis. And then, you know, if you're successful within that, there's two branches that people can go. They can basically either become a fitness manager where they're going to be in charge of the business. They're going to be in charge of the systems all those types of things. And so they have a growth path through that. Or on the other hand, we have what's called a lead trainer. And so they go and they support 
uh, several locations with meeting with the trainers one-on-one, -on -one, going through program design, onboarding new trainers, you know, showing the ropes and ultimately shortening the learning curve. And really their main focus is how do we make you the best trainer and small group trainer possible so that you're successful. So a lot of people, you know, I would say predetermine that they want to be on one route or the other before they, they put in the sessions and they've done the work. So what I would encourage people to do is go through the experience and start to just see what you like and what you gravitate to. And it might not be what you think. You, you got to go through the ropes before you think what something is. You don't really know what it's like until you're in that seat doing that role. Yeah. And how long, how long just to set realistic expectations? Cause I think that's another challenge for new coaches and trainers. Like how long am I going to need to do this before I do this? And there's not an exact, but for people that you see going in and succeeding in those second tiers, right. Of either helping train the other trainers or maybe overseeing more training sales and the business side of things. Um, how long are most of those people doing the other stuff? Like how, you know, I mean, again, it's an estimate, but you know, what length of time do you see for people that they need to be putting in the time as a coach and trainer and just getting really good there first before they're really ready to maybe go on to the next level? Mm -hmm. So for the lead trainer round, which is more of the science side, typically they're there two years plus because you just yeah. need to get sessions under your belt so that when you're meeting with the trainer and they're like, Hey, this client's not doing their diet log or what have you. You've been through that multiple times, so you can actually provide the coaching. You can't give a textbook answer, right? It's a, it's a real person, so you have to have lived that experience. On the business side, I mean, that just ultimately comes down to your comfortability with sales. I mean, there's people who've moved in really quickly, you know, less than six months into that role because yeah. they gravitate towards sales and and they love that and they do really well and and they end up loving that role. So. Um, you know, you can actually move into the business management faster than the science just because of what's expected and, and what you're doing. And the business side tends to be a lot more repetitive and the same thing over and over, just done better and better than we're in the science side. And it's like, OK, you're going to talk about a client who has a hip replacement. Then you're going to talk about this 18 year old who wants to get a college scholarship. And it's like, there's such a wide range of conversations that you're going to have on that side. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, mostly I know, I mean, being like a, you know, academic trainer, you love learning about the science. That's kind of the fun stuff, you know, but I, even before we jumped on here, you were talking about some of what you guys are doing on the, the business and sales side of stuff and bringing those things together. So for your newer coaches and trainers, whether they're working at a UFIT or not, or they're working somewhere else on their own, you know, what are like some of the simple initial sales uh, I don't want to call it strategies, but I guess the focus when you guys are teaching sales to some of these newer coaches and trainers, what are you guys focusing on? How are you talking about it for those newer uh, individuals? The first thing I, I always ask every new trainer is if I gave you a client who wanted to lose 20 pounds, but they had a tight back, could you do it? And I give them a couple scenarios and the answer needs to be yes, because if you don't believe that you can help that person, you're not going to be able to sell that person. And you shouldn't sell that person, frankly, if you don't believe that you have the skill set to do those things. But those are very realistic clients for people. The second thing I'll always ask them is, you know, would they see better results working with you or working out on their own? So if we were to look out onto the gym floor right now and you see people, it's like, how many of them are actually following a program? How many of them look confident? How many of them are spending more time on their phone than exercising? And how many of them look the same this year as they did last year and feel the same and are moving the same and still rubbing their shoulder on the bench press? five years later because they haven't done the right programming. So I'd always ask them that. And it should be yes, that they're going to see better results with you. And then the last thing I always ask people to reflect on is why? What are you doing that it's going to be better working with you than without you? 
What are you providing? How are you going to help that person? And you have to have that answer before you even start thinking about any of the sales tactics. Because if you can't explain how you're going to help somebody achieve their results, why would they work with you other than just, oh, I heard a person, I need a personal trainer. That's not going to keep a client for a long time. So is it, you know, that you're going to provide accountability, motivation, you're going to give them the right structure, you're going to cue them through the exercises, you're going to keep them on track with their nutrition, whatever it might be, you need to be really confident in saying, why should you work with me? And what am I going to do to help you with those things? So we always talk about, you know, what are the features of personal training and what are the benefits? A customized program. Great. There's a million customized programs. Why does the client care? though? So we'll go through that. And as an example for the customized program, it's, well, it's going to be safe. So you're not going to hurt yourself. You're not going to re-aggravate some of these injuries that you've been. It's going to help you see results in less time. You could see results on your own, but it might take you three years and you might fail five times. What are your odds of working with me when I have that with you? So we're going to save you time, which is one of the most valuable things for people. And the number one reason people say they don't want to exercise is I'm too busy. Well, if you spend an hour in the gym, but you actually only got your heart rate up for 10 minutes, yeah, it's probably not a very effective use of time. Um, so those are just some of the examples. And then from there, it ultimately just comes down to why is that person there? If they don't have a big enough dream, a big enough goal to want to change for, they're not going to change. It's just not going to happen. So we focus a lot of the time on just digging into why is this goal important to them? How is it going to affect their life? Who's it going to affect? Why do they want to do something about this today instead of deciding to do something yesterday or tomorrow? And it always comes back to just human psychology. We're motivated by two things, pain and pleasure. Either something recently happened that's causing you pain, that's causing you discomfort, and you want to get out of pain. Or there's a version of yourself, of your life, that's so worth working towards that you're going to do something about it. And you've got to get that in order to get them to do anything sales-wise. I like that. There's, I feel like a couple main things. First off, I just like the way you talk about that. And hopefully for those that are listening, it gives them maybe a different perspective on sales, right? We all have this like, oh, it's sales. I don't want to do it. Um, versus, I mean, if I'm listening to you, but just as you were speaking about this and I didn't use the word sales before I would have just, I would have thought like coaching, right? Like you're, you're just coaching them, um, which is so much more comfortable, I think for coaches and trainers. So I think that's awesome. I can already tell the, the coaches that you fit and, and the training are lucky to have that, you know, versus like the old school, like car salesman, sell everybody. Yeah. Um, go get 10 phone numbers on the back of this card and then come back. Yeah, that's, that's it. Go nag everyone on a treadmill. I don't care. Um, <laughs> Cause I think a lot of trainers, they're scared. They don't want to do that. But so I think yeah. that's, that's awesome. And the other thing that you mentioned that sticks out to me is the, especially in like understanding people and what they want from training. You talked about like not getting injured. I think that's huge. I think a lot of people like they're scared of getting hurt. Like they, they know they want to strength train. They want to do these things and they're just fearful. So I like that. I like to focus on that because I think that, you know, there's a, a lot of money in keeping people safe and, and not getting them hurt. Yeah, especially if they're playing pickleball these days. I'm sure you oh, see for sure. Out there. <laughs> yeah. um, so, you know, I, I think there's a lot, lot to be said for, for those, you know, those sales things. The other part of it, too, that I think a lot of trainers overlook is we think about sales as this process that happens one time when somebody buys a package. But everything that I said is also what's going to keep them as a client. So what happens two months down the road when maybe they're starting to get a little flaky on a session, or maybe they're not doing their homework or they're not going on their walks or whatever coaching you provided them, how are you going to get them back on track and motivated? If you don't have that why or that reason that's big enough, you actually won't get them back on track. And then you're going to be looking for a new client to fill that slot. 
So what sells the client is also what keeps the client. So if it helps you to think about, you know, this is already my client, not that they need to buy something. I found that to be pretty helpful. It's like you would ask these same questions if somebody handed you a client. It's just a matter of you're going to go through the exact same process, except for at the end, you're going to present them with the best option to work with you. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think I found that actually challenging as a, like a, a trainer, let's call it four or five, six years in when I actually had clients that I trained with for quite a while and they either achieved their goals and then it was maintenance or their goals shifted and changed like they do. Right. And then they wanted to keep training for other reasons. Um, but it's very easy. I found it was very easy for me to get complacent and like, all right, we're coming in, we're training every week. You know, but then at some stage, either a I got frustrated because I'm like, they're not doing anything like nothing's changing. And that was my own, you know, young trainer psychology, not thinking about yeah. the longevity. Uh, but then I, I realized like that's the active process. Like you've got to you've got to reengage these things all the time as their coach and trainer. You know, like what are our goals now? Let's revisit these goals even years in. Um, and that was something that, again, none of the textbook talk about. No one talks about that stuff until you're just doing it. No, I mean, the way I always look at it is. Every client that I've had for a long time, it ultimately comes down to two things, like health and happiness. You're not going to be happy if you're not healthy. And if you're not healthy, you're going to want to do something about it. So I think the goal always has to come back to that, you know, because they came in for weight loss or strength. That's not really what keeps them training for a long time. It's ultimately the health and happiness and what impact does that have on, on the quality of their life. I think that's the other cool part about fitness is we have such an amazing ability to influence how people are in the world. Happy people usually do good for the world. And if you can help them through fitness to become happier people, that makes a better world too. Love that. I love that. So I want to, especially for those that are listening, first off, you guys will have some, uh, some links in the show notes to be able to connect with and follow, you know, Raphael on the areas that he's uh, contributing to the industry. Cause you also do a fair amount of, of writing and educating outside of your role with UFIT, correct? Tell us about that a little bit. Mm -hmm. So well, I've done some work with certifications and, and building out some courses, editing some courses, created a lot of CEU courses for eFit for our trainers to take in-house free of charge. And then I always had a little bit of a passion for writing and I always had a passion for fitness. I've had the opportunity to write for a lot of different publications, some different magazines. And, and so I do that on a pretty regular basis because, you know, I was actually a fat kid uh, before I was a personal trainer. And then as I was learning, I was working at CVS and I would literally be closing up the store in high school and I would go to the back, grab every fitness magazine and just be like, let me read, let me learn whatever I can. And so I wanted that opportunity to give back with, with the knowledge that I've acquired to say, Hey, this is what actually works instead of this is necessarily what, you know, sells a title because abs are going to be on the title of every fitness magazine, probably forever, <laughs> forever but you actually train it right. Instead of just, Hey, do this really hard workout. Yeah, that's awesome. That's very cool. Um, and it, you know, like for you too, cause I mean, again, I know, you know, starting from the training standpoint, you had some organizational experience, even working in the campus rec world. Um, give us a couple, and again, you can just maybe pull out as you think about like, you know, since 2009, you've had some years in the industry training, working with trainers, education, all of it. Um, what are a couple of the key lessons along the way with the things that you've experienced that either a you integrate into what you guys do at UFIT and you try to pass these things along to new trainers, or if you had like a newer coach and trainer in front of you that you were working on mentoring, like what are some of the main messages or a couple of those main uh, lessons that you would want them to be able to take away from their conversation with you? Mm -hmm. I think the biggest thing that I found for myself personally, and that I always share with our trainers is this principle of, of Kaizen, this Japanese word of continuous improvement. When I very first started training, I wasn't that good. 
I was like excited to train. I wanted to train, but I didn't know everything at all. And I still don't know everything. So I always looked at every session that I had with somebody as an opportunity to learn and get better. So after every session, I would always ask clients, hey, what do you like about today? What would you change? Is there anything I could do better? Anything you'd want to you know, see different in our session on Thursday? And I would always take that information and apply it. So I was always looking at how can I get better at what I'm doing? And that's a very active process. I was really fortunate, actually, in my very first personal training interview that part of the interview was I had to train somebody for an hour. Then I had to take feedback from the manager before they were my manager and apply it to the second session. And I think that really set a good idea of, of what it means to be a personal trainer, that you always have to be looking at how you can improve the experience, how you can improve the program, how you can improve the relationship with your clients. And I really took that and applied that to everything I'm doing. Okay, if I you know, onboarded a new trainer for the first time, what could I do better the next time? How could I make this section of the onboarding more engaging, more exciting? What's a story that I could maybe bring in that, that puts some life to these things. So I always took that principle of the Kaizen and how can I do everything that I'm doing better? And then the second thing I would say is, you know, if you're looking to move up through the ranks is you have to do that higher job before you actually get the title for that job. So if you wait to be promoted when you feel like, hey, I'm, I'm the best at this, but you haven't actually started to take on some of those responsibilities or taken some initiative, you're not gonna get the role. You always have to do more than what's expected without being asked if you want to grow in the fitness career. And ultimately, that just means taking initiative. So the two main things is like there's there's no maintenance program in life, in your career. You're either getting better, or you're getting worse, right? Like you're getting stronger, you're getting weaker. You're not staying the same. So it's up to you every day how you approach that day. Are you going to get better or are you going to get worse? That's great. I love that. And, uh, and for those that are listening too, can you give us, give us a little bit of your insight into, I, I mean, it's a very general question, like where's the industry going? What's the future of Nostradamus, but more so, I mean, again, I know your role, not only do you oversee a lot of people, but the direction of some of the programs for a pretty major organization, you know, especially here for us in the uh, Southeast, you know, like What's the future looking like for fitness and training and how people, how it's being delivered, how people are consuming, right? We, you know, we came out a couple of years ago of obviously a very interesting time with digital, digital training and, and online and everything else. Obviously we've been out of that for a little while now. Um, mm -hmm. but what do you feel like is either coming or like, what's the direction look like? What are you guys focused on for the future of training, um, with clients? Mm -hmm. Like just broadly in fitness, I, there's three things that immediately come to mind. The first is strength training is growing really fast. I think sometimes if you're in a PT studio, like you, you sometimes are in your world, but all the money that's being spent on new strength training equipment, you know, Olympic lifting platforms, that is where a lot of the money in the industry has been spent, at least in the commercial space. I think if you remember, you know, like when I first started training, it was like, wasn't that hard to get a squat rack? Now it's like, there's a line, like it's, you know, the nightclub to get into a squat yeah. rack. So that's gone up tremendously. The other huge thing is recovery is a huge piece of everything, you know, stress plus adaptation or stress plus recovery equals adaptation. Well, we love to stress ourselves. We don't love to do any recovery and recovery is actually really fun, really enjoyable. So things like compression therapy, Theraguns, you know, cryotherapy, ice buckets, all those things. Your sleep is obviously the number one recovery thing. There's a lot more companies and a lot more focus on recovery. And then the last piece is offering a more holistic solution. So before everything was really fragmented and segmented of, okay, you're going to do your strength training here. You're going to do your cardio here. 
nutrition, no, we're not going to talk about that. That's going to be something that you learn on your own. So I think the industry as a whole and, and what you need to do as a personal trainer is you either need to partner up with people who are experts in that and bring your clients into it. So like, for example, you know, we have clients who are working with dietitians on the side. And so, yes, we could provide a lot of that coaching, but sometimes hearing it from a different voice or a different perspective is what they need to hear to come back to you and say, oh, you'll never guess what the dietitian told me. You're like, oh, you need to eat more protein. I don't think we've ever talked about that before. <laughs> so I, I think that overall, just being able to provide all the resources in the wheel of what health and fitness looks like in one place is, is going to be a big focus. So the nutrition, the recovery, the exercise, the psychology behind all these things and, and being happy. I think people are going to try to provide more of that in one go instead of just being like, I'm your strength coach. And are you guys seeing right now too, is uh interest in personal training continually on the rise? Is it, is it, you know, holding steady? Like what are you guys seeing? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say personal training, you know, right now, the, the demand is is similar to, you know, like pre-COVID times. I don't, it hasn't dropped. There was definitely, you know, undeniably a drop in that because of social distancing and, and all the things that were going on. For sure. But everybody I talked to across the industry, you know, personal training is, it's there, it's back. You know, a customized program is great, but somebody has to actually guide you through and make sure that you're doing it correctly. So like you're saying, you don't get injured because I see people all the time on the gym floor, like pulling out their phone. And I'm like, let me just help you out a little bit. I'm not going to try and sell you training, but like, let me just show you like what they actually mean to do in this exercise, because I don't <laughs> want you to hurt yourself and get frustrated. Um, so, you know, we, we've seen that a lot as well as just people still need that personal connection to actually guide them through exercise to cue. This is what this exercise is actually supposed to feel like. Um, and then just the human element of somebody's going to be keeping track of you. It's really easy to ignore an app and to turn push notifications off. But when you know you got to answer to your trainer on Thursday about, did I go on my walk? Did I do my stretch? Did I eat? You're going to do it. That's it. They know, they know big brothers watching. That's mm -hmm. for sure. Mm -hmm. I love that. Well, where can people first off, Rob, I can, you know, I mean, I, I feel like we could go for, you know, a long period of time. Um, you're a wealth of knowledge for the people there at UFIT and for the industry. So I love, uh, I love all the stuff that you're doing. I love that, you know, even though we've only met maybe once or twice in person, I feel like I know you from, from following digitally as well. Um, where can people connect with you beyond the podcast? Where are you most active? You know, if people are interested in just training your, you know, your content where you're at, um, or even they're interested in, in UFIT and job opportunities, where's the best place for people to connect and contact you? Mm -hmm. If you're interested in UFIT, feel free to reach out to me directly. Um, you can go to UFIT.com and everything's linked on there. Otherwise, everything is just my first name, last name, Raphael Conforti. Um, you can find me on Instagram, LinkedIn, all there. And, and even if it's it's not about a job opportunity, just a question about fitness. I, I love jamming on those types of things, chatting about it. Those are the fav <laughs> my favorite emails. My favorite messages are just about fitness and, and nothing else. Uh, I'd love to connect and chat. <music>